Happy Sabbath to you all. Good afternoon. Appreciated the special music, Miss Dwyer. That's always a contribution, a very valuable contribution in music, messages, and song. And, you know, God gives us an imagination, doesn't he? And he also gives us his word so we can guide our imagination and then we can take, take flight from there. We think about the future. Uh, we look through a glass darkly. We have an outline, but we have a sure word of prophecy. It will come to pass. We have much to look forward to. Hopefully all of you are having the beginnings of a great feast, uh, a feast of enrichment and happiness and joy and all the rest. Of course, we're still here in this society, in, in this world, the difficulties, you know, the, the thought of a dam breaking. There's always natural disasters, aren't there? Always things that can affect us. Hopefully we continue to ask for God's blessing and that it will flow here at the feast site and around the world. You know, there are always things that happen, don't they? I was thinking about that last night on our way, on our way to the Bible study and a deer ran out in front of us and it was almost dark and I was following it to the right on the other side of the road and then another flash from the left. It was, it was too fast to react and I just clipped the rear hooves of the second deer. No damage to the car. I think no damage to the deer. But uh, time and chance happens to us all, don't they? Sometimes for worse, sometimes for better. But if we're asking for God's blessing in our life, you know, in the end, it's all going to work out, isn't it? It's all going to work out for the better. And we look forward to the millennium, and we see a time as we imagine it, as we, we think about the future and what it would be like, and we can imagine a time of great joy and great happiness across this planet after a few years. It's going to take time, it's going to take work, it's going to take a lot of teaching. We need to be good salespeople, totally sold on our product, the way of life, the Word of God, and, of course, the very plan of God. But in the meantime, we're not living in the millennium. This is not the millennium. We are living in Satan's world, and we live in that very end of the age. Things are going to happen. We know that. This is a world full of, by and large, sadness, depression, very little joy and happiness in the true sense. What a contrast to the coming kingdom of God. But we know even for God's people who have God's spirit, who enjoy God's way of life, who look forward to the future, even among God's people. You know, there are individuals among us, I'm sure, over the last year or two. Some have lost jobs. Some have maybe even lost a spouse or a mother. Others have dealt with serious health problems and are today, I'm sure, as well. Many are unsure of their finances or their future career of sorts. If they're younger, if they're in college, if they're wondering, where do I go from here? And a few may be lonely. Some may be thinking, well, you know, if I could just find the right person. And uh, that's a good blessing. But, of course, God's way of life supersedes all, doesn't it? And we're going we're gonna to come together in the family of God with stronger relationships than we've ever known in this life. Even among the best marriages, we're going to have something to look forward to, a higher level of joy and happiness in relationships in the right way in the family of God. 
But in the meantime, our life is full of uncertainties, isn't it? This is an uncertain world. You don't know what will happen tomorrow or next week or next month. But we, we do know what's going to happen in the plan of God out ahead of us. We don't know the precise timing. We may not know what will happen tomorrow, but we know what will happen in the word of God, in the plan of God. We think about that. We think about that uncertainty in our life temporarily. And yet God's word has so much to say about the state of mind, about the way of life, about the way we, having God's spirit, should live, should experience in this present life. Didn't Jesus Christ say, I have come that they may have life, that they may have it more abundantly? And that is John 10.10. Is that a contradiction with the present state of affairs or not? In an uncertain world, is that an, a contradiction with what you know? An abundant life? I really appreciated the sermonettes uh, the last few days and all the messages, but focusing on a subject I want to focus on. One, Rejoicing at the Feast by Mr. Dillinger. And also the sermonette by Dr. Reem demonstrating that happiness is our duty. It was kind of a good intro to what I wanted to speak about. A good intro to the sermon. So I'd like to look at the elusive subject. It is kind of slippery. The elusive subject of joy and happiness. We're talking about our frame of mind. How we capture it in our daily life. How can we capture it? And we will also look at ways to increase our quotient of joy and happiness. They're not one and the same. And I want to talk about both joy and happiness, little different concepts. So the title of the sermon is A Beautiful Mind. Of course, that's the, that's the end game. That's the intent that God wants us to develop. A beautiful mind, a beautiful state of mind. We know trials and tests occur with God's people, among all of us. But according to Scripture, they accomplish a great purpose. Do we believe that? Is that our reality? They are, according to God's word, for our own good. We have tests to pass. And we want to pass those tests. And we want to graduate at Christ's return. And we want to move on to our real career. Whatever we're doing in this life is comparatively Not that relevant, though we need to do the best we can in whatever realm, whatever responsibilities we have. But our real career, we're just now training for it. Uh, We have not graduated, and that will occur at Christ's return. Trials and tests, daily tests, are for our own good. If we didn't have tests, I know when I was in college, if I didn't have tests, I probably wouldn't have mastered the subject. I probably would have cruised through the textbooks and the lectures. And same is true in our spiritual life. We need tests. We need to know. God needs to know. Are we genuine? Are we mastering the subject? Are we becoming real with God's way of life? Well, I think a very interesting example, an amazing example, is in Jeremiah chapter 24. 
So if you will turn to Jeremiah chapter 24. Now think of, think of the trauma of captivity. If, if part of your family or all of your family or if you went into captivity, the trauma of captivity and what that would mean. And this is the time when Nebuchadnezzar carried much of Judah captive. Jeremiah chapter 24 and verse 1. And it says, the Lord showed me, and there were two basket of figs set before the temple of the Lord. And after Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried away captive Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and the princes of Judah with the craftsmen and smiths from Jerusalem and had brought them to Babylon. And one basket had very good figs like the figs that are first ripe. And the other basket had very bad figs, which could not be eaten, and they were so bad. Flies buzzing around, half rotten, smelly. They were so bad. And then the Lord said to me, What do you see, Jeremiah? And I said, Figs, the good figs, very good. (laughs) He got right to the point. He focused on the good, very good. And I said, uh, he went on to say, and the bad, very bad, which cannot be eaten. They are so bad. I don't even want to touch them. They are so bad. And again, the word of the Lord came to me saying, and you you begin to see this kind of analogy that that, uh, God is developing here for Jeremiah, for you, and for me to understand a little bit about God's will and how God works in our life. In verse 5, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, our God of spiritual Israel, like these good figs, so will I acknowledge those who are carried away captive from Judah. He's saying they're the good figs, and they're being carried away captive, whom I have sent out of this place for their own good. Notice that. Here they're carried away captive for their own good. Can you imagine that? For their own good. In the end, into the land of the Chaldeans, incredible, for I will set my eyes on them for good, and I will bring them back to this land, and I will build them and not pull them down, and I will plant them and not pluck them up, and I will give them a heart to know me, that I am the eternal, the creator God of the universe, and they shall be my people. And I will be their God, for they shall return to me with their whole heart. You think, incredible. This captivity was for their protection and their well-being. And there were others who would not receive this protection and well-being, the bad figs of society, those who were, in God's sight, quite bad, quite evil. And God made a difference here. And he allowed some to go into captivity, seemingly one of the greatest, maybe initially, trials of their life for their own good, for their blessing, not for evil. And we know in the midst of our trials and our tests that we take, you and I are in training. And that's all life is. It is simply training, training in a way of life, training in a way of thinking, Training in a way of living, a way of being. God wants us to develop his mindset that 
beautiful state of mind the Creator has, his state of mind, so we can pass it on to others in the millennium. But we have to learn that mind now. We have to develop that mind now. We can't wait to the kingdom of God. This is the time for our learning. So part of our training now for the kingdom of God is to develop a mindset, a way of thinking, a mindset of joy in a unjoyful world, a mindset of happiness in this age with difficulty in a very difficult world. You know, God's law is the blueprint of human happiness. Do we believe that? It is the blueprint of human happiness. Can you imagine our God as being continually kind of down, fairly unhappy, without joy, maybe God the Father and Jesus Christ kind of grouching at each other? You know, can you imagine that? Can you imagine living forever unhappy and joyless, a downer? What a miserable existence that would be. And, of course, it describes the mind of Satan, the very mind of Satan himself. And if we can develop these traits of God right now in a very difficult age in Satan's world, you know, how much more effectively can we be able to teach and model and exemplify these principles to others in a genuine way? I mean, if we can do it now, surely they can do it in the kingdom of God in the millennium. A beautiful state of mind. That's God's agenda for us. Aren't we to be the light of the world? Well, generally it'll probably be in hindsight, yes. The world may not look at us that way now, but they're going to marvel that we were able to succeed with, of course, with God's help in such a difficult age. And now they have the government of God on the face of the earth, Jesus Christ, with instructors teaching and training. The standard of living is higher. The assets of the God family flows throughout the earth. And, of course, the knowledge of God as the oceans cover the sea. How much more effective will we be if we master that, if we develop that beautiful state of mind in this life? When I first started looking at the subject, looking at the definition of joy and happiness, two different words, a little bit different concepts, it became very clear to me that these two words often are almost interchangeable. People mean one and they say the other, and they say one and they mean the other. There is so much written on this concept in secular society. They can be interchangeable in many cases, but I think not in the Word of God. I think that we have to understand what happiness is and what joy is. But they are very popular subjects. I checked it out on Amazon.com. How many books or pamphlets or references are there on Amazon.com? And for the subject of joy... Apparently, there are 35,000 books that reference the subject. Wow, 35,000. Happiness, there are about half, 18,000 books that talk about happiness, that portend to help you be happier. Or on the other side of the fence, the 36,000 help you to be more joyful. Well, I think technically happiness 
To a degree is an emotion, a frame of mind, a mental state, typically connected to circumstances, circumstances in our life, not totally, but primarily circumstances now, whereas joy, biblically, it comes from the bigger picture, the bigger umbrella of God and his plan and the future, God's plan for us. So I might ask, should we seek primarily joy in our life then, because it relates to the big picture, and forget seeking happiness? And the answer is absolutely not. You know, we want both. We need both in our life on a day-to-day basis. God's Word tells us a lot about happiness, a lot about joy. But you find them both in the Scriptures. It is His mindset. You know, it's something He wants to coach us in. Happy are the people whose God is the Lord. Inevitably, if they're on track, they become happy in their immediate circumstances. Psalm 144, verse 15. Also, whoever trusts in the Lord, really trusts in the Lord, happy is he. That's Proverbs 16:20. You begin to think, okay, so God's word says so. And we know so many scriptures speak of joy. So all of us should want and desire lasting joy in our life. We see the big picture. We want the kingdom of God to come. We want to be a part of it. That lifts us up with the vision of the future. And we also want day-by-day happiness in our life. We want to exemplify it. We want to experience it. We want to experience that beautiful state of mind. And when we put our hearts into God's purpose in our life, we can experience it comes, it flows. And none of us are there. At least I'm not. None of us are there fully. If we, if we totally put our mind into God's way of life, we begin to ex- experience more daily happiness. And we experience a greater level of joy with the long term, the big picture, I know what's ahead. I want to be a part of it. And even among us who are not the talented of the world or the wealthy of the world or the very successful of the world, God wants that to be a part of our life. So let's begin. Let's look at these two subjects. I'll start with joy first. I'll start with the higher level concept of joy. And, and I might say, first of all, And we'll see in Scripture that it comes from being a part of a real future, of having a real future, no matter what happens now or tomorrow. It's the big picture. It's that burning zeal, the intention, the stubbornness to be a part of the very family of God. There can be good stubbornness. Not all all stubbornness is bad. Stubbornness in a good way. So, again, what is joy? According to God's word, if you look at the theme of joy, true, lasting joy is only experienced with the profound presence of God in your life. That's the only way you will have true, lasting joy. And that can be fulfilled to one degree or another. And we want to reach the level of joy that God wants for us in our life. Oh, yes, the world can have short bursts, 
and episodes of what they see as happiness, I suppose, or they may call it joy in their life. But it doesn't last. As we know, the example mentioned the other day of Solomon and his pursuit of the material world and the things that bring temporary pleasures, it doesn't last. So a real lasting joy is the evidence that God is present and active in your life. If you want real lasting joy, you're going to have it as you allow God to be the center of your life. It is, after all, it is a fruit of God's spirit. It is a manifestation of the way God thinks, of his mindset. That's the way he is. And again, he's not, uh, he's not concerned about tomorrow, worried that he can bring his plan to pass. He doesn't stay up nights fretting. He knows it's going to come to pass. His word is sure. He is the power of the universe. There is no power great enough to derail the plan of God. The fruit of God's spirit, of course, we know is love. Yes. Joy and peace. Another concept. We're at peace with the world no matter what happens. We're at peace. We know the future. And the scripture says, long-suffering, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are all parts of the mind of God. If you want to know how God thinks, analyze the fruit of God's spirit. That's how he is, how he thinks, how he responds. Scripture says, of course, I'm reading from Galatians, quoting from Galatians 5.22. And, of course, Paul says, against such there is no law. What does that mean? There is no law. There's no other way. This is the way. Walk you in it. There's no other law. There's no other way. There's no other pseudo-law. This is the law of God, in contrast. So joy is the very character. It is the very mindset of the great God and what goes on in his mind. If you are filled with God's Spirit... And the fruit of God's spirit, including joy, will be evident in your life. But none of us are fully there, are we? You know, we we're not all filled, or any of us totally filled. You know, we've got work to do. We've got corrections to make. And I might say, if we have very little joy, maybe to one extreme, very little joy or no joy in our life, then we really are not close enough to the great God. We simply are not. And I know this applies to all of us to one degree or another. Life is hard. It can be. It can be. Yet we have, and we could have so much more joy in our life if we move closer to the great God, if we experience God's way of thinking, his mindset, It's another way of saying, experiencing deeper conversion. We begin to think like the great God. And, of course, that is God's goal, for us to think like he thinks, to make in time to make decisions like God will make or would make so that he can trust us to administer his government over other human beings for a thousand years and in the second resurrection and beyond. Nehemiah realized this when he stated, The joy of the Lord is my strength. That's Nehemiah 
Nehemiah is saying, look, you know, it's, it's, it's my rudder. It helps to stabilize me in difficult times. It is my strength. And the joy that comes from God's mindset, the very living God, God the Father and Jesus Christ, it can be our hidden strength. Even though we may be weak, it can be our hidden strength, a huge reservoir, even in times of trouble in our own life or in society in the years ahead. Notice Paul's desire for all of us in Romans chapter 15 and verse 13. Romans 15 and verse 13. We read, Now may the God of hope, and I, and I might explain that hope has to do with your life. You can have rock-solid faith and confidence in the great God and the coming kingdom of God, but hope is for you personally. You hope that you're part of God's family, that you finish your training, that God's going to work amazing things in your life. It's your hope. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy, with his very mindset, with the big picture, the future's coming, the family of God, with all joy and peace, and believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So he's saying by the power of the great God, he can give you part of his mindset, and me part of his mindset. Sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we don't ask for it. Sometimes we don't seek God for that kind of joy. Some of the very mind of the great God The Creator wants us to be full of joy. It's not for the fortunate few among us. It's not for those who have everything going right in their life. It is not an option. <laughs> it's an expectation of the great God. He'll supply. He'll supply. Christ said in John 15, verse 11. So this is the challenge in our life. John 15, verse 11, Christ said, These things I have spoken to you, that means to all of us, that my joy, in other words, the big picture, the coming kingdom of God, your part in it, my joy may remain in you. You have that big picture. And that your joy may be full, not Partially so, you know, not knuckle-dragging through life, that your joy may be full. Well, I'm sure none of us are there totally, but that's God's desire for us, that we may have that kind of joy. We have the big picture. We know the future. We're talking about it here at the Feast of Tabernacles. It should encourage us. It should fulfill us. We've got something to live for. And also in John chapter 16, another chapter over, in verse 24, if you want more of that joy, if you want more of that mindset, well, you're going to need to ask. That's part of it. Ask that you will receive. So you have to go to the source. You're not going to find it in the world or probably the 35,000 books on joy. 
or the 18,000 books on happiness, you're going to have to seek it from the great God. I'm not saying the world can't help. Yes, there are principles that can help us, and we can read, and we can apply principles, but true overriding joy only will come from the great God. And Christ went on to say that your joy may be full. In other words, in this life, carrying over to the kingdom of God, you will lead with the very character of the great God. Well, wouldn't we all, don't we all want a little more joy in our life? Have your slice it. Uh, Isn't that natural to want a little more joy in our life? How about a lot more joy? How about a lot more of what God has to give? That kind of joy that will see us through the normal ups and downs of life that we have and will have until we finish our training. That kind of joy that can be a rudder in a difficult world, no matter what Satan throws at us. You know, we are being trained. We're not finished. We will have tests, maybe a few trials, but it can be our strength. It can be our rudder through the years and months ahead of us. The joy of the Creator can be part of our life, and God wants it to be. He wants it to light our life. If we are determined then to cultivate the spirit of joy, remember it is a fruit of God's spirit. It is part of the very mind of the great God. If we're determined to cultivate his mindset. So in the first part of the sermon, let's look at a few ways to cultivate. We'll start with the spirit of joy. We'll look at happiness later. That is, assuming we really want a better life. In the present. Don't we all? I mean, don't we want a better life? Don't we want a fuller sense of joy in all that that portends? Peace of mind? Well, we've got th- several suggestions, points to cultivate the spirit of joy. Number one, I think a, a foundation, a starting point is to recognize, we've said this already, but our God is joyful. Our God is joyful, and he wants us to duplicate that joy, to give us that joy. This has always been the mindset of the Creator. Job chapter 38, and it gives us a, it gives us a glimpse, suggestion of the Creator, his mindset. Remember, he's had this plan of expanding his family for eons of time, however long that's been. And it's been, I'm sure, part of the plan for the creation of the universe as he is creating the galaxies and even the planet, the laboratory that is the earth, the laboratory for future sons of God. Job 38 and verse 4, and God asked, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Now remember, God has this great plan, an intricate plan in gear, Tell me if you have understanding. You know, we tend to be kind of short uh, attention span. We only see what's uh, what's around us. Who determined its measurements? The great engineer, the measurements of the planet and everything in precise balance in this solar system, in this galaxy. Surely you know. We might say that to the great scientific minds 
who assumed God wasn't needed to create the universe? Or who stretched line upon line? Who, who measured, who engineered the universe? He goes on to say, To what were its foundations fastened? It's floating out there. How does it stay put on its circle? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the, notice, when the morning stars, the angels sang together in all the sons of God, their sons of God, in that sense they were created, shouted for joy. They were in on this. They knew the plan of God to, at least to a degree. They saw the beauty of this phase of God's plan. And all the sons of God shouted for joy. Can you imagine the joy of seeing the vast universe created and all the intricate galaxies coming into existence with the crown jewel of the universe, planet Earth, at that time being created with a spectacular beauty. You travel around the nation and the world. You marvel at the Grand Canyon and all the points of beauty in the United States, even Yosemite Valley. I had someone tell me a few days ago they had just been to Yosemite Valley. They thought it was the most scenic, small point of beauty they've ever seen. But there are other contrasts that are equally beautiful. The stark, jagged beauty of such places as the Swiss Alps. A couple of years ago when we were at the feast in France and uh, seeing a little of Switzerland and also Mont Blanc, taking a day trip to the top of Mont Blanc and seeing a 360-degree view on a clear day of Mont Blanc. Tremendous beauty. I've never seen anything quite like that standing in one place. Or the, for that matter, the amazing turquoise blue waters of maybe the Caribbean or other places on the earth. Psalm 104. Psalm chapter 104 and verse 31. And our God experiences joy. He has a plan to expand his family. Psalm 104 and verse 31. And part of that plan was the works, the physical works to establish a more advanced plan. Psalm 104 verse 31. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice. In other words, what does it mean to rejoice? It means to express joy. You know, show a little bit of it among us, about a little bit of a smile now and then. We might ask each other when we rejoice. It means to show joy and also to be thankful to the great God from our end of it. May the Lord rejoice in his works. He looks on the earth and it trembles. He touches the hills and they smoke. Incredible. God rejoices. God experiences joy. In the amazing works of his hands, and he has something that the bigger picture, of course, his plan. But as fantastic as the universe is, there is even a, a more amazing piece of work ongoing, the work of God, that he takes very great joy in, present tense. Do you know what that work is? I think we do. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 a much greater work of joy than the universe. The universe is just the laboratory for the bigger plan of God. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. 
For we are His workmanship. We're His project. We're His plan created in Christ Jesus for good works. He wants us to be a part of that, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we might say the absolute pinnacle of God's creation is creating future family members. Future sons of God who have his mindset, who have that same beautiful mind as the great God. Future sons, future junior God beings that he will share the universe with, he will share a life with. You might say life on his plane of existence. Yeah, we'll be junior sons of God, never never equal at all or even come close. But we'll still be sons of God, God beings with joy in our existence, fulfilling the plan of God that we're a part of. And this is the type of joy that Jesus Christ and God the Father actually experience now. That's part of their mindset. And our Creator wants us to experience joy today, kind of a forerunner of what's to come. We know the future. We have the big picture. Remember Christ's words, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy, the joy of the Creator, may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. That was John fifteen eleven. You know, God wants us, Jesus Christ wants us to have some of that joy. We can be excited about the plan of God. We're part of it. We finish our training. We'll be sons of God. We have the big picture. That should fill us with something far beyond circumstances in our life at the moment. Well, that was suggestion number one. At least recognize that our God is joyful. It's his mindset. Point number two, also realize that we can have joy even in Satan's world. That may seem a little tough initially. When things are not perfect, excuse me, when things are not fully going our way, well, after all, Jesus Christ was our example, wasn't he? When things weren't exactly peaceful, in one sense, Towards him, at least, at the end of his life. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. Paul says, Hebrews 12, 1, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and every little issue that, yes, is real in our life. And the sin which so easily ensnares us, let's get beyond that. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Now notice this. Who for the joy. In other words, he had the purpose in his heart, in his mind. He had the big picture. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, not a contradiction, planning to expand the the family of God, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. 
Well, Jesus Christ did endure a lot, didn't he? Much more than you or I have ever endured. He endured a lot in his human life. But he was empowered by the joy of his resurrection. At that moment that was coming, at the end of his life, he was going to be resurrected, restored to the former glory that he had before, and continued life as the Son of God, and that permeated his life with the big picture, the joy that God the Father, and he had decided upon in the plan of God. And you and I have the sure knowledge that God is offering us the same, that is, a future change, a resurrection, an awesome spirit life. So we... If we have the big picture, we can begin to see how some of that joy begins to permeate us, no matter what's happening here and now. That same joy can be transmitted to us, even when we're going through some fairly difficult times. We all do, some more than others, true, but none of us is any different. We all have to be tested. If we're going to be in God's family, if we're first fruits, potential first fruits, God must know, do we trust him in thick and thin? Not just in thick, but in thin. Do we trust him? When we do have these tests then in life and and some trials, we're told in James, we're told in James chapter 1, James chapter 1 and verse 2, we know this scripture, James said, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. And early in life or early in the church, we might say, how in the world? You have the big picture. I have the big picture. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. You know what's coming. You know your future. You know God is refining you, knowing that the testing of your faith of your rock-solid confidence in the great God, do you trust him, produces patience. In other words, you can wait a little while, not immediate gratification every time. You can wait till Christ return to the end of your life. Things aren't perfect in the present, but you have the joy in your life of the future. Life on God's plane of existence eventually as a son of God, First fruits, son of God. Some of us here, now to, to be practical, to be real, a few of us, and I, nobody's told me this, but may have had the most difficult year of your life this past year. And I don't know if that's the case, but I can imagine that the odds are so. There's got to be somebody, some few, probably a number of people that had the most difficult year of their life. And yet... We can know that God is working in your life, that God has a plan, God has a future for you, God is refining you, God's refining me. He wants us to develop that beautiful mind, that state of mind, his mind. And, of course, according to that scripture, then, that process should be more valuable to us than, you know, all the pure, pure gold in Fort Knox. We know people are scrambling right now. They're hoarding gold. We know gold's almost 1,300 an ounce in the last few days. They may, some may think it's their salvation. It's not. 
As Scripture tells us, eventually, you know, for those who hoard, you know, won't buy non-existent food. You know, our only salvation is the great God, his mindset, developing his mindset, that trust in the great God. First Peter chapter one and verse six. So Peter said so as well. First Peter one, verse six. So Peter said in this, you greatly rejoice. And again, here, meaning you experience joy, you express joy. You greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, and I think more commonly, various tests. We have tests weekly. We don't have trials weekly. We have tests probably weekly. Am I going to compromise today? Am I going to fully follow the great God today? Am I going to communicate with God today? Am I going to put God first in my life today, or is it going to be once a week? That is, communicating with God and our study and talking with God. Am I going to do it daily? You can't put God first in your life weekly, once a week on the Sabbath. It must be daily. He goes on to say, verse 7, that the genuineness of your faith may much more precious than gold that perishes. In the long run, you will exist in gold that perishes, probably going to vaporize. We'll talk about that on the last great day. Probably going to vaporize when this earth is cleansed with a very high temperature. All the elements are going to melt. Gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire. Sometimes gold is fired. For those who make gold jewelry under the torch, it's fired. Impurities come to the surface as it's melted. And then you're able to remove the impurities. Speaking of us being tested, sometimes in fire, tested by fire, may be found to praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That is, we will be glorified at the revelation of Jesus Christ as well. Verse 8, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, you have that kind of confidence. You don't really need to see him face to face at the moment. You've proven the existence of the great God and his plan. You do not see him yet believing. You rejoice with joy inexpressible. Inexpressible, at least. You can't fully uh, put it into words. You can try, but it can fill your life, your mind with joy inexpressible. And full of glory, that is, of the great God, receiving the end of your faith, the end point, the outcome of your rock-solid confidence in the great God, the salvation of your lives, of your souls, the salvation. God's going to save you from the grave in all of us if we finish our training. Well, that's a part of having that joy, is realizing that we can have it, we must have it, in this age, we're called to be first fruits, a higher level training, an honorable position, a much more honorable position than the rest of the family of God. We're being trained in Satan's world to prove God's way of life works, comes out on top every time. And you compare it with Satan's way of life in Satan's world, God's way of life works. And in the millennium, we're going to be there to 
exemplify that. Been there, done that. We'll be able to say, let me tell you what God's mindset, his way of life did for me. And let me tell you the mistakes I made when I, when I didn't follow carefully, fully. It brought sadness and difficulty in my life. We'll, we'll be living examples and teachers. Let me move on to the third point in experiencing more of that joy. I'll say this. Number three, I think this has been stated in different ways already, but we need to share the spirit of joy with others. We need to express it. We need to share it. We can't lock it up and hide it in a box or in our mind. You know, the countenance of our face begins to demonstrate some of that joy too. Romans chapter, Romans chapter 12 tells us in verse 15, it tells us to rejoice with those who rejoice. Among the people of God, yes. You know, express some of that joy. That joy of the plan of God. Rejoice with those who rejoice. You know, when you want to encourage someone, point them to the big picture, to the plan of God. When you want to encourage someone among us who's had a difficult day, a difficult week, remind them of the great God's plan and their inclusion in it. Fellowship is such a crucial part of our spiritual development, of our training. You know, seemingly it's not that difficult to, you know, get along with an unseen God. But getting along with others called out of the world who are different than us, who are not like us, at least initially, different personalities and lack thereof, fellowship, part of our training. Can we get along? Can we work together? Can we develop a family environment? It's part of our spiritual training. You know, there, there, there are essentially two halves to the Ten Commandments. Getting along with God is only half of it. You know, we're going to be training other human beings, difficult human beings, sometimes rebellious human beings. God wants us to develop that ability to interact with without losing control. Other human beings are not like us. We all come from different backgrounds, different experiences. It's amazing difference among the people of God. You know, if you or I were calling people, we'd probably call people who are like us. You know, we get along with easier. God says, deal with it. <laughs> you know, people who are not like you or me is part of our training. That's what you'll face at the beginning of the millennium. A rebellion on your hands. Arrogance. You're going to have to deal with it without destroying them. You're going to have to learn, and I'm going to have to learn how to work with people. Or at times, even out of control, yes, there'll be a rod of iron, but it won't be just to destroy. It will be for their own good. Well, God is building a family. Key element, God is building a family. We can't do it isolated, on our own. You know, some people, some people make it to church, let's say, in the area on the Sabbath at the very last minute and beat it out the door as soon as church is over. And they feel... They're tight with God, and they realize, wait a minute. You know, a major part of our training is learning how to get along with other people. Maybe sometimes they even irritate us. Sometimes they do. Sometimes we irritate them, but it's part of our training. God wants to know. He, know, he needs to know 
that he knows that we're not going to be a loose cannon in his family when we run into a problem, when we run into rebellion. We're going to be under control, under control of the power of God's spirit, of his mindset. We're going to think like God. So God is building a family. That's the key element of the plan of God. And that's the key reason that we're commanded in Hebrews chapter 10 even to do not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. That was then. This is now. Even true today. Maybe they've got the internet. I'm not speaking of people who are physically unable to get to church or sickly or don't have the ability to get to church, but people who elect. They're missing half the time. That applies to probably all of us. Maybe we're each one of us maybe occasionally make an excuse. So we're to be together to encourage each other unto love and good works. In other words, we're there for each other. Not just the sermon, that's fine. But to encourage each other in the love and good works, to support them, pray for them. And and the scripture says, so much the more as you see the day approaching, the day of the Lord, it'll be more critical that we are family. There'll probably be some who will not survive spiritually, but maybe even physically, if they're not well connected to the family. It's all part of God's plan. So we are to be there for each other, to encourage each other towards God's way of life. It's kind of like saying, I'm here for you. Yes, I have a slight headache, but I'm here for you. You're part of my family. You know, Christ's last thoughts on the night of his death was that his little flock would retain a togetherness, a one-mindedness, a single-mindedness, In other words, a genuine brotherhood, that they had retained that among the family of God. Notice Christ's last, at least his recorded prayer in John chapter 17. We read this at the Passover, John 17, just a few verses here, verse 13. Christ said, but now I come to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Verse 20, I do not pray for these alone, but for also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's you and me. That they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, and they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them. You think about what glory? Well, Christ wanted his joy to remain in them and and that their joy would be full. Kind of an inexpressible joy. They're in on the big plan of God. They're part of it. That the glory which you gave me, I have given them. That they may be one just as we are one. So, of course, this is speaking of one mind, one purpose, one fellowship, one spirit of joy. In other words, one one mindset. That's our goal, that beautiful state of mind that God wants us to have and sharing that mindset of joy with others among us, though we, to the extent we're able with others in the world, but principally among us, 
sharing that state of mind is one crucial way that we can cultivate joy in our own life. You know, we're, we're, we're aware that we're all in the same team. God has called us out of this world to be trained, to be teachers, sons of God, kings, priests. We're all in it together. We all want to see each other succeed. And when we begin to interact with a joyful, meaning I get the big picture, I see it, positive then mindset with others, obviously it spreads. You encourage others, don't you? When you speak of that joy, that plan of the great God, it can be contagious. You know, it's not just ain't it awful. It can be contagious. Doesn't matter what our circumstances are at the present. Joyful Christians spread their joy. It's the way God's mind works. By being different, yes. They don't allow negative thoughts to dominate their minds. In spite of their finances or their circumstances, or even their health for that matter. They don't allow the cares of this world to steal their joy. To steal God's purpose in their life, to blind them to the truth, to the way. Their conversation is different. It's uplifting. It's not a downer. Turning the joy of their calling, the joy of the future, and their destiny as firstborn, as first, first fruits in the family of God. And so they encourage others. Sometimes we're all down occasionally. But the best way to encourage a future son of God is to point them to the plan of God, to remind them of the plan of God. You know, that's the big picture. That's how we acquire joy, the mind of the great God. Well, that sense of joy there then permeates our life. But also, as we see in Scripture, we also want a level of happiness, don't we? And we're trying to differentiate, differentiate as best we can. But we do have the big picture. We can have the mind of God. It is a fruit of God's spirit. But how about the present tense as far as circumstances? Is it possible to increase our happiness on a daily basis when things aren't especially going well? Well, yes, we can. We can, we can strive to increase our happiness. There was a, uh, there are many, many books written on the subject of happiness. Dennis Prager wrote one. Some of you may have heard him, a conservative talk show host, Jewish talk show host. And uh, he made the statement that happiness is a moral obligation. It's not just if you're lucky enough to be the right place at the right time. But can you imagine being married to somebody who's, who's, who's forever down? What does that do to your life? Can you imagine the impact of a parent or parents who are forever down on their children? It's a moral obligation, unless we live in a cave, I guess, because we're all around people. We all impact other people. We all have effect on other people. Well, we can, as we seek the great God, and God will multiply it, but we can increase our level of happiness. Number one. Number one, I think this, and again, this comes, it's biblical, but it also comes from people who've stumbled on it out in the world. Number one, 
We need to lower our expectations in this life. As pointed out by Dennis Prager as well, happiness is a serious problem, and I, I won't quote, but once or twice. But we must lower our expectations in this life. Now, I'll add something else that Dennis Prager didn't add, and raise our expectations in the kingdom of God. We lower them in this life and raise them in the coming kingdom of God. Think about it. Higher expectations. I want more of this. I hope to have more of that. You know, I I long for, you know, if you're young, I suppose, the most fulfilling career I could imagine or I want, I want to double my income. <laughs> or I'd love to have, you know, a home bigger and better than the one I have now. Or I, I'd really, I really want to have better health. I want to, I want to every, do everything I can do. I'm going to struggle for better health. I expect better health. Or, you know, I want a very high level of success. That's kind of like raising your expectations. And what do we do when we raise our expectations? Inevitably, when we don't succeed, we, we lose potential happiness. When we've elevated all these expectations, don't forget the coming kingdom of God. The future is not in this life. So we lower our expectations. No, there's nothing wrong with trying to better ourselves. But we're not continually struggling, striving, worrying about our standard, let's say, of the material world, for example, or success in business, for example, or career success. You know, that's that's a passing thing. It doesn't last long compared to the kingdom of God, the family of God. We lower our expectations in this life. You know, this life, again, is only training. It's, it's a brief period of a few years on the planet And then we graduate, hopefully, and move on to our real career. We've been trained for our lifetime. We've been equivalent, like being in college for a lifetime. Our real career is given to us at Christ's return. And Christ will have set jobs for us. And we'll hit the ground, hopefully, running at that time. And our God says that we'll inherit the planet And its resources at the beginning of the millennium. So why can't we lower our expectations in this present life, in the material world, of acquisition, of finances, of housing, of this, that, and the other? It's just a short delay to God's kingdom. Can't we lower our expectations And in turn, not constantly frustrated and unhappy when we don't succeed and maybe elevated expectation of life. That we haven't gotten our wants and our expectations fulfilled. You know, the Apostle Paul lowered his expectations in this life. Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 11. Paul said, not that I speak in regard of need. Now, he went through a lot of deficiencies, though he had great potential. 
initially in his life, physically, materially. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. In other words, he's saying, I've lowered my expectations. I'm content. I know the future. I'm not going to be overly disgruntled and worried and anxious and nervous when things don't work out right according to the material world. And and God was using Paul in a very powerful way. He said, I've learned to be content. I've lowered my expectations. It is in the material, physical world. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5. Hebrews 13, verse 5. Let your conduct be without covetousness. In other words, you know, don't earnestly covet or desire things you're not going to have that are not reasonable. God's training you in this life. He's not going to ruin your life with probably excess wealth. It would be a big trial. (laughs) So let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content. Lower your expectations for now. Delayed gratification. Be content with such things as you have. And he goes on to say, well, how could you do that? For or because he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That implies things are coming your way. At the end of your life, you inherit the planet as part of the firstborn sons of God, family of God, and later the universe. I will never leave you or forsake you. Well, Paul went on. He didn't just lower his expectations in this life. Some in the world might. But he raised his expectations of the life to come. You know, he looked forward to what was to come. Second Timothy chapter four. Second Timothy four and verse seven. And so Paul, towards the end of his life, second Timothy four, verse seven, was able to say, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And what a race it was. And I have kept the faith. Verse eight. Finally. There is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Now, this wasn't egotistical. This was reality. Paul had finished his course. Crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. That's you and me. So as we lower our expectations during this brief period of training, Now, most of us that have spent time in high school or college, we lowered our expectations during that period, especially in college. You know, you're out of money. uh, You're stressed at times. You stayed up nights because you thought you had a better future. Well, that's really what this life is about. We lower our expectations during a brief period of training. We reduce our frustrations. It's okay. You know, we're only here for training for our real career. We haven't graduated yet. So we reduce those frustrations of not acquiring elevated expectations that would otherwise reduce our happiness. And we raise our expectations in God's kingdom, enabling us to have tremendous contentment and happiness right now. Well, that was point one, one of 
three points. We lower our expectations in this life and raise our expectations in the coming kingdom of God. Number two, a second way to raise our quotient of happiness. Number two, and this was said before, probably will be said again. And this comes out of the scripture, but it also comes out of the secular world. You know, some people in the world have stumbled onto some of God's law by mistake. <laughs> uh, some, there, are, there are people with some wisdom out there. Number two, we begin, this may seem oversimplified, we begin to serve the brethren. And in this particular case, I'm not speaking, handing out songbooks, I'm not speaking of song leading, or setting up chairs, or preparing food, or giving sermonettes, or giving sermons. They're all good things to do, but that's not what I'm speaking of. They're great ways to serve, but I'm speaking of showing genuine interest in others. And all, virtually all the writers, even the secular writers, realize this. When you begin to invest in other people's lives... You get your mind off yourself and you have better, a higher level of happiness in the present. No matter what your circumstances are, you have a higher level of happiness in the present. So many books written on the subject of happiness come to the same conclusion when we start giving of our self in friendship. Inevitably, we increase our own happiness. And that's not selfish. You know, the more you give, you receive. It's spiritual. It's biblical. It's one way of raising our level of happiness in the present. It does involve some effort, especially when we're mixing with others in the congregation who are not like us, at least initially. But the payoff is real in the state of mind, the level of happiness, being willing to communicate, to actually put Effort into befriending others to ask appropriate questions. You know, not, not just, I want to talk about me. That's, there's a place for that. <laughs> but to begin to ask appropriate questions for, from others, showing interest in their life, it's critical path to serving the brethren. Critical path to saving the brethren. Every person on earth needs to be liked. You know, it's inherent within us. We need to be liked by others. It's a basic human need. We're hardwired by the Creator that way. God wants to build a family that needs each other. A man who has friends must himself be friendly. Proverbs 18.24 When we show others that they are worthy of our respect, of our interest, of our attention, you know, truthfully, they they can't help, can't help it, but they begin to like us and appreciate us, and this in turn builds our happiness. It's the way it works. It's the reciprocating law of the great God. Sometimes that's hard for us to, to grasp, isn't it? Because normally it's an effort to kind of make ourselves feel better, to elevate ourselves, and we all have an element of that. But God's word says, if you want to have a happier state of mind, you know, seek to encourage, to elevate, to to appreciate others. And in turn, they will appreciate you. 
You know, we like people who like us, don't we? It's kind of the way it works. It's the way it works. Christ said, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. Or with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. So as we show others, and that is interest in others, you know, that's not something that comes natural, is it? For most of it, it's not. We show interest in others in God's begotten family, and from time to time we express appreciation, uh, verbal appreciation. We help to fulfill a basic human need, and in turn, what happens? We receive appreciation back. One way or another, it comes back. And again, that's the reciprocating law of God from Luke 6.38 that I mentioned a a moment ago. Give and you'll receive. And we are a much happier person for it. It is the law of God. If you want a greater level, if I want a greater level of happiness in my life, I need to start giving more. I'm not speaking of money, though that's that's another need to support the, the work of God and others. But I'm speaking on a personal level here, giving of our time and our interests. And finally, number three, final point, in raising our happiness quotient today. We need to develop a mindset of thankfulness to our Creator. Dennis Prager, again, in his book, Happiness is a Serious Problem, states the following, quote, Yes, there is a secret to happiness, and it is gratitude. All happy people are grateful, and unhappy people cannot be happy. Most of us are grateful for anything that we have only after we're threatened with losing it or actually do lose it. Gratitude is the most important component of happiness. End of quote. It's not a converted person speaking, but he stumbled on one of the laws of God. You can't be extremely thankful to your creator and miserable at the same time. It's like oil and water. It doesn't work. Daily counting our blessings that come from the great God kind of fits back into joy, too, doesn't it? They, they overlap. Expressing gratitude to our God can do wonders for our mindset. If we become real and genuine with God and what he is offering us, we should be thankful from the depth of our being for what our creator is proposing, the new covenant. There are so many scriptures that speak of, yes, rejoicing in a way, expressing that gratitude to the great God, our gratitude to the creator. In fact, we know God commands it at the feast, doesn't he? It's a necessary trait to develop. Now, we've read that before in Deuteronomy 14, but God says, you shall rejoice, you and your household. God doesn't say here it's an option if you had a good year. He says, it's training in the state of mind. You shall express joy and thankfulness to your creator and you shall rejoice. It's part of his training for us. And it makes us feel better when we do it. We're not so miserable. Poor me. God commands us to rejoice. And as we do, 
We start appreciating the great God and what he's done in our life. It's interesting as part of the way that we give thanks as singing and mentioned in the sermonette as well. We talk about God's wondrous works in so many scriptures. Glory to his holy name. Let the hearts of those rejoice who seek the Lord. You know, we're thinking about God, his work, his plan, his future. Is this our mindset or do we still feel that we have nothing to be thankful for? Or do is it not part of our mindset? Wouldn't that be a profound contradiction? If we have God's spirit, if we are receiving God's mindset and his way of thinking, his way of life, you know, we have so much to rejoice over, to be thankful for. Can't we stand in awe of the great creator, the supreme creator, no matter what? Our immediate circumstances are, whatever they are, finances, health, this, that, and the other, and be amazed at the same time at his creative power and be amazed that he wants to elevate us on his plane of existence as a son of God. Can our minds fully grasp it? Well, no, but it can motivate us, encourage us. Our calling, our election obviously is the greatest miracle far beyond any temporary healing that we may experience in this life. Psalm chapter 40 and verse 6. Psalm chapter 40 and verse 16, rather. Another one of those suggestions or commands. Psalm 40, verse 16. Let all those who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Start expressing appreciation to the great God. Let such as love your salvation say continually, the Lord be magnified. Amazing things he is doing in our life. So if we are currently being prepared and trained by our God to assist Jesus Christ for a thousand years of the millennium and through the white throne judgment and beyond, as God uses us to finish the creation of the vast universe, then surely we have something to rejoice over. And to actually experience happiness in our life, in the present. We, we certainly can have joy, but even happiness in the present. The command to rejoice in God with thanksgiving is part of our spiritual training expressed in the New Testament. Apostle Paul, final scripture, if you'll be turning Philippians chapter 4. The Apostle Paul, who experienced many trials way beyond what any of us have ever experienced, not a one of us here have experienced anything close to it, Philippians 4 and verse 4, Paul said, Rejoice in the Lord always. In other words, express your appreciation to the great God. Again, I say, Rejoice, let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. He's working in your life. Be anxious for nothing. In other words, don't don't be neurotic and anxious. And excuse the expression, but freak out and panic because things happen. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Verse 7, and the peace of God 
which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So in conclusion, as we near the end of the age, let's remember that God wants us to become lights to the world with joy and with happiness that is beyond understanding, at least on the level of the world. We have an obligation to develop this beautiful mind, mind of the great God, and in turn that gives honor and glory to the Creator God and demonstrates that God's way of life truly does work for us.